Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. Thank you so much for joining us, and here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley Riley, and today we welcome Kelly Scrory with us. Kelly with us. Kelly, hi, how are you? Hey, how are you? Good. It's great to have you have you here today. Thank you. It's great to be here too. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So tell me, the middle of the summer, how hot is it in Florida? Oh my God, it's brutal. So usually it's about, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the temperature right now. It's like uh, 10 degrees hotter with the heat index. So I think today we're probably, it's 90, but it feels like a hundred. So Lovely. yeah, usually yesterday was like, you know, walking through soup. <laughs> well, um, once this airs, I'll have some I'll have some retrospect, but but uh, perspective. But I'm going to Miami next week, so yeah. I so what yeah. happens here is that you know best thing I can say is take a shower with all your clothes on, <laughs> then go outside and pee in your pants, and that's about how it feels. Yeah, it's just lovely. Oh, good to know, Kelly. Good to know. Yeah. So it was like, like the ACs don't even keep up this time of year. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's no okay. kidding. Oh, good. So tell me, so tell me what was growing up in Connecticut? Um, you know, I think same as kids everywhere, right? Like boring, nothing to do. Um, now that I don't live in Connecticut, I miss it. I miss the change of seasons. Um, obviously and I, I liked the winter when I was a kid, but yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like anything was any different than everywhere else. Like I hear kids today and they're always bored. And yeah. like, <laughs> I remember always being bored, although I played outside a ton. Um, I even played outside in the snow, you know, I was just, we didn't have the video games and the phones. Like I'm right, old. I had Atari, right, right? right? We had Atari. That was like it. Oh, Nintendo. I know. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. my parents were old, were old school, have a TV. So we didn't have it. We didn't have a tar or a TV. So we, we made our own, our own fun. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did as well. You know, I lived in an area that there weren't a lot of kids. So I spent a lot of time alone and uh, just kind of learned to find things to do. Rural. Um, no, actually just like the area that I lived was not a area with a lot of kids. It was more of more of a commercial area, I guess. Okay. Okay. Did you love the falls in Connecticut? I love the fall in New England. There's nowhere better to be in the fall than in New England. That is on my bucket, my bucket list to do some for sure. Yeah, it is definitely, um, it is, you know, one of a kind anywhere in New England, driving into, you know, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, um, just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, tell me a little bit, a little bit about your family now. Say that again. I'm sorry. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your, your family now, now. So my family now, boy, well, my parents are still alive. They're down here in Florida. So, which is part of the reason I'm here. They're older. And my children are grown. Um, I have 24 
almost 24 year old triplets. They'll be 24 next week. So um, I have two sons and a daughter and they are back in Connecticut. So I left them there. Um, I joke around and, you know, I say that I left them there so they could be their own people because I wanted them to grow up without the pressure of feeling like they had to live their life around me um, and, and entertaining me and making me happy. Um, you know, there's a big dynamic in that as an only child and I'm adopted. So, um, I feel like there's always been a big dynamic for me in having to put my parents first and be where they are. And they've kind of put that expectation out there, which has been tough to navigate over the years. They didn't want to do that for my kids. So I moved away. Um, so they're kind of doing their thing. I have one son who just got engaged. And the other, my other son is close to that. And my daughter's, you know, finding her way. And so it's definitely an interesting, and that's it. I mean, that makes up my family. So yeah. So isn't it interesting parenting young adults, young adults, I describe it to people like, I feel like I'm kind of always like the kitty paw thing. thing. How much is too much to, you know, to push, push into it or to ask, ask, I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so totally understand that. My my ex-husband said it really well. I have to give him credit for saying this. It's like they want you to treat them like they're the five-year-old still, but without any parenting. So they like <laughs> want the nurturing and they want you to like take care of them when they want it, but they want you to completely step out of their life. So like even recently, my son and his girlfriend came here for a visit and we got in a huge fight. And he, they actually left because it was like, you know, I said, I'm not the hotel. Like you're visiting me. I see you once a year. This is like my time to spend with you. And he was of the idea that this was their vacation. And so they were going to do what they wanted to do. And I was like, no, this is our time to spend together. And the conversation we had afterwards was, hey, we're navigating all new waters here. Like this is a completely different navigation for me. So. I'm, I'm trying to embrace like kids, sons with girlfriends and now a fiance, like that takes the whole empty nest, your adult children thing to the next level. Oh, it does. does. Sure. For sure. Our four young adults are all, they're all married, a grandbaby. And, and it's just like, I don't know what to do with them half the time, but I I think that's an accurate representation. It does feel like, it does feel like you have, uh, you have uh, uh, that wants you to not parent. (laughs) Some days. Yeah, I was like freaked out enough. I think I was traumatized just watching my son follow his girlfriend around the shoe store and like get her shoes. And I was like, who <laughs> is this person? Like, what is yeah. happening? Uh, so definitely okay. an interesting, uh, different, interesting transition. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. It is for sure. What drew you to becoming a therapist and a relationship coach? So I am, this is a second career for me. I spent 20 plus years in the dental field. I was a dental assistant, then a dental hygienist, and then I taught dental hygiene into my early 40s. Um, So I decided I was kind of burnt out and kind of feeling like the passion was gone. Um, And right two days before my 41st birthday, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So after uh, losing a year of my life to chemo and radiation surgeries, I decided that I wanted to go back to school and get my master's degree. 
Um, and I had originally thought about going into nursing, into oncology nursing, because I felt like I could offer a purpose there, right? I had just gone through this huge year of just, wow, <laughs> that's really no other way to explain it. Um, and then when I looked into programs, I was going to have to repeat all of my sciences from, you know, a hundred years ago. And I was like, oh gosh, like that's way, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I, I enrolled in a program in counseling with the intention of possibly going into, you know, uh, counseling cancer patients in a hospital setting. Um, sure. Life had different plans for me. Um, when I got out of my program and I started working uh, unlicensed, I applied for any job that would take me unlicensed just to get the experience. Um, and I went into a methadone maintenance clinic up in Connecticut. Uh, had, I didn't know what I was even going to. I had n never, I was not expecting any of this. Um, and I walked into that building and found a family, like the team of people that I ended up working with for two and a half years there was like no job I'd ever had. Um, just really felt like my whole life had led me to that point. Mm. Um, and the only reason I left there was because my facility underwent some corporate changes. My supervisor left. And that was my kind of kick in the pants to move to Florida. Otherwise, I probably would have stayed there my whole life. And I never would have taken on the opportunities that moving to Florida presented me, um, which ended up in October of 19, meaning I opened my own practice with like $300 in the bank and just said, it's time. I'm not going to be taking on these, you know, hundred client case loads anymore and not making a difference. So I started my own practice and that's kind of transitioned since of course COVID hit three months later. Of course. Um, of course. Yes. Did um, you go online then, online with your clientele? Both. I was able to stay in in house a little bit because I was in a small area where there was no a lot of traffic. So I did work, see some people in person and some online. Um, and then I've even transitioned from there. I spent this past year studying or taking courses in on uh, the Gottman method, which is a, um, couples method. And yeah, at first good was stuff. like, yeah. And at first I was like, I just don't know if I like this. It seems so structured and rigid. Um, but I finished all three levels of certification, um, and am, am eligible for the certification track and also got certified as a leader in their seven principles program. Um, and I'll tell you, I just love having the tools and the interventions and the back, you know, the, the structure and the background information of, of Gottman's research is so yeah. powerful. So that's kind of when I transitioned into couples and it's, is that what I noticed after COVID. Say that again. Is it John Gottman? It's John and Julie. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And after COVID, you know, we, we had first time marriage divorce rate was about 50% going into COVID. And I think after COVID it spiked up to about 71% for first time marriages. Mm -hmm. Our family networks are falling apart. Um, my marriage, my own marriage ended in divorce. Um, I was with my ex-husband 18 years and we were married 15 and now I've been divorced 13 years. Um, so I wanted to take a look at what was going on and 
and Gottman's program, the methoding in there, you know, it's just amazing stuff. So I love it. Um, whenever I get couples calling me, which is a lot lately, I'm like, you know, this is how I do things. I'm not as structured as their program is. I integrate a lot of other self-discovery and spirituality practices, but you know, when we're dealing with some of the heavy stuff, his, the interventions that they offer are great. So, yeah. and that's how I got here. It's that's great. Great. Crazy wild ride. Yeah. But how fun to be able to reinvent your life. I mean, it was started with a, with a catastrophic or not, but what, but what an opportunity in your, to do that. I've kind of done that, kind of done that. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it's, I think one of the things that I've learned through my whole journey and everything I've been through is that we can, we can always reinvent, right? That's our, that's like our biological right is to like continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I, I refer like clients when they're feeling really stuck. I'm like, if you look at other animals, like I talk about dogs and I think I saw a dog just walk by in your background, yes. right? <laughs> think about dogs, right? Like if you have a dog that eats rocks, it's going to eat rocks no matter how many times it has to have a rock cut out of its intestine. Like it's going to keep eating rocks. It's never going to learn, but we have the ability to just evolve from, from our mistakes. And eventually we go, all right, I'm going to stop putting my hand on that hot stove. Cause now I get it that it's hot right. and then I can make different choices, but man, the, the squirrels are going to keep burying their nuts in the wrong places and not remember where they put them. And the dogs are going to keep eating rocks and every other instinctual animal is going to just stay where it is. But yeah, we, yeah. Have evol- we have that ability to just change constantly. Gail Sheehy wrote a book called Passages and she wrote a book on menopause called Silent Passages. But in the book Passages, she says that 40s is the old, is the old age of youth and the infancy of adulthood. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that, you know it's never too late, right? Like we're, if you look at it from a spiritual perspective, we're endless. Like we just are reinvented from energy. And, and the only reason that we base everything on such a time frame is because it's a societal norm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm empowered when I see 90 year old women graduating with a bachelor's degree and people are like, why would they do that? What are they going to do with it? And I was just speaking to um, someone the other day, an attorney friend of mine, and she was sharing that there's a client that's in their 90s, a couple in their 90s that are getting divorced. And like someone would say, why? They've been together like 60 years. Why at 90 would you go through all of that? And there, this woman's reasoning was because life, I still have time left. Until I'm gone, until I'm dead, I'm not going to stay miserable. I'm going to reinvent my happiness. And this is how I'm going to do it. And that is so true. Wow. But, you know, I see people like my parents who just kind of stopped living and wait for the time to end. And I'm like, but there's so much more to do. Right. Like, I can that's not what you choose. Yes. I could absolutely do something different. Absolutely. So, so you and I, in our conversation, talked about, about um, how you help women and you, you said that you help women adjust role expectations. What does that mean? Yeah, I think that I do that even in a couple's perspective, right? So 
we've been assigned traditional male female roles right these have been passed on for generation to generation like i was working with a young client today and we were discussing how worth and value and how you know the only reason a hundred dollar bill has value is because society said it does but really it's no different than any other piece of paper until we print it and assign it a value and she talked about her dad hating his job but he has to provide for the family and he can't quit his job even though he's miserable because he has to pay for their house and he has to do these things so her mother cannot go to work and I'm like again these are traditional roles, right? Dad goes to work, mom stays home and raises the kids and we have to be miserable. And one of the things that I try to help people see is that times have changed, right? Very few Mm -hmm. families have one parent, one person working. As a matter of fact, most families in this economy have both parents working, sometimes two jobs because things are different, right? The kids are not home with mom. Kids go to school and there's a billion activities. I went to school, I came home, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't have all of these activities. So we're constantly on the go. We're constantly going through drive-throughs. Mom's going one way, dad's going the other. And, but yet at home, we're still kind of bound by these traditional, the woman takes care of the inside. The guy takes care of the outside. You have to make sure dinner's on the table. This is how you do things. And I have to my job as a, as a mom is to take care of the husband and the kids and, and, and not like make any waves with anybody and not set any boundaries or not live my own dreams because I have to make sure everyone else is happy. Mm -hmm. And then if you're like me, you wake up one day and you're like, is this it? Like, this is all I get. Like, there's gotta be more to this. There's gotta be more. And that's when we get to start going, all right, let's get empowered by this, right? Instead of like stressed out and like crushed by it, empowering it. And I think that working with couples, we can empower them to do it together, to embrace a whole new way of looking at their relationship. But for women, I see so many women in abusive, whether it's emotionally or just, you know, these toxic relationships, these women are like, well, he's narcissistic or it's the new word for this generation, right? right. right? Narcissist, right? So I can't leave because of this, that, the other thing. And those are just excuses because we don't, you know, I was told 13, 14 years ago, I'd never make it on my own by my ex-husband. And I'm like, well, look at me now, right? We are kept small and we can come out of these roles. Women are doing amazing things, but we're, we don't have to fight each other, right? Men and women don't have to be so against each other. We can do these amazing things together. Absolutely. I just try to encourage them to break out of those traditional, this is my job, this is your job and be a team. Right. What do you think is the biggest challenge for women women to make that clean slate slate of their expectations? What do you what do you think holds us back the most? Our belief systems about what what roles we were assigned, right? When I was when I was a little girl, my mom swore I'd never wear jeans, right? I was gonna be a little girly girl. And then we're told don't play with trucks because those are for boys and girls wear pink and boys wear blue. Like this starts from the beginning. You know, we have all these little, you know, um, 
sugar and spice and everything nice is what little girls are made of. We're supposed to be proper and listen to everybody, you know, be the caregivers and the nurturers. But uh, there's plenty of dads that are nurturers. But what happens to those men when they seem nurturing as little kids, they get picked on and, you know, our way our society is. And if a woman's not wanting to have kids, she's like, I hear people all the time say they never wanted to have kids. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Well, why not? I wouldn't want to have kids today. I'd really be hard pressed to make that decision in this day and age. So we're stuck in this belief system. And, and I don't think it's any different for men. They just have a whole different sense of right, a belief system. Right, right. I just know what mine was. I believed that my expectations, my role as a daughter was to get married and have kids and follow the traditional steps that my parents laid out for me. Right. The, and the then take care of them is, until they died. Right. The difference is, is that men have traditionally been given more more freedom, creative with their choices and choose their destiny as it were. Right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point yeah. of view. I never think about it that way. Like that they, and, and again, you know, on a, on a collective, yes, that's true. But then when you get down to the individual working with men in individual settings, and I hear the expectations that have been placed on them by their families and their fathers and what roles they would play, one would argue, do they have choice for their destinies, depending on how capable we've been to set boundaries and break out of those traditional roles. Right. And I can see how they they, um, can be as trapped in their place as, as women can feel in in their, theirs. I can see that. Yeah. So what, how did your own um, struggles with self, self self-esteem and self play into your choice of career? Oh, my first career, my second career. Either. (laughs) The question. So My first career played into my first career pretty much on a desperation, right? Like I was at the point where I felt like I had no direction. Um, I kept starting school, stopping school, didn't know what the heck I was doing. Didn't really have a lot of belief in myself. Didn't have any sense that I was even going to ever accomplish anything. Um, And I randomly applied for the dental hygiene program. And obviously I was like way late for the application, but they had somebody drop out of the dental assisting program. And like three weeks before it started, they called me and they said, Hey, we have this opening. And I was like, all right, never in a million years thought about doing either of it. Um, and went into the dental assisting program and I really liked it. And then I worked for a few years, got married went back to dental hygiene. And then I um, did that for a while, got my bachelor's degree in dental hygiene education. School was never, as an adult, school was never an issue for me because I'm an uh, type A overachiever, right? I had such low self-esteem that I had to prove myself by getting straight A's. So I was super competitive in that, um, but had a really hard time ever finding my place. Like I just Mm -hmm fell out of place everywhere. I would later learn that all that has to do with my childhood stuff too, but I wasn't a therapist at this time. My second career really kind of went into, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't really know what it is I want to do. 
So let me try this out. It sounds like it will be cool. And I really think that I still was struggling with self-worth, but not as far as education went at that point in time. Like I doubted my own abilities, but I knew I could get through the program. And then things just kind of started rolling from there. Like I got that job in that methadone maintenance and I, my supervisor was incredible and she just built me up and my, the, the impact I had with clients was really great. And I really just felt like I had fallen into this flow Mm -hmm. and it kind of just started from there. Like I finally had found my place, my purpose. Right. So when it comes to fit, yeah, everything fit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm like everyone else. I get plagued by imposter syndrome. I doubt myself a lot because we all kind of have that self-doubt lingering around. But for the most part, I feel very empowered in my role. And when I'm working, like I throw most of myself into my work for that reason, because I found my purpose here, right? I found my passion. That's amazing. It rolls over into other areas of my life. It's gradually getting there. But in my work role, I finally feel like these pieces fit. Yeah, very cool feeling. Yeah. So how do you you think um, trying to prove your worth, worth, leaves to no boundaries? Well, I was trying to prove my worth to everybody. And so... I just wanted to be good enough, right? Just, I wanted to do whatever I needed to do to be good enough. I'm just playing my computer. And what I found was when I went outside of myself, nothing was ever going to make me feel good enough because I kept putting my power in all of these other things that disappeared or didn't have the ability to give it back. So Mm. I had no boundaries. Like I was the friend that would do everything for everybody, but no one did anything for in return. And I was the, the girl who would go out with guys and not respect myself enough to just recognize that they were jerks or, or feel bad if I got rejected. Um, I felt like I was just constantly trying to measure up to some invisible level that I could, of perfection I could never reach. And what all that did was lead me to an eating disorder and <laughs> pretty much self-hatred and bad choices and um, not, not having any respect for myself, Yeah. right? Like I didn't feel like I was good enough to even allow myself to have respect for myself. I, I felt like, you know, I say this a lot. I was trying to prove that I deserve to exist, right? Like I deserve to exist and I need to prove it. I didn't recognize back then that I was already worthy of existing because I was here. I was born worthy right? and whatever else happened had nothing to do with me. Right. Well, but, we get so sucked, sucked, stuck, stuck in that of other esteem and and wanting to have of you know that intrinsic motivation rather than rather than the intrinsic really is yeah. a a all encompassing infiltrates filtrates effort of our life. Right. Right. Very much. Yeah. Well, as a society, we're so external focused. Right. That external locus of control. Like mm-hmm. everything now is so selfie and Instagram and influencer and, you know, we're all on Facebook and everyone's like trying to, you know, showing their, how happy they are. And people say to me all the time, I see everyone else living this amazing life. And I'm like, well, you see what they're showing you, but it right. doesn't mean they're really living an amazing life. 
Right. You know, and I use an example with a lot of my clients about worth because I look at it like just because someone can't see my worth doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So if someone's colorblind and I'm wearing a bright pink shirt and they see that I'm wearing a gray shirt or a black shirt and they're arguing with me that my shirt's not pink, it doesn't mean my shirt's not pink. It means that person cannot see the color of my shirt because they right, can't see right. color. If someone doesn't value their own self and their own worth, how can they see mine? Right. Absolutely. I see, I feel worthy. So I see everyone's worth. Mm-hmm. Like I don't look at somebody, even somebody that maybe I wouldn't want to spend a lot of time with. I still think that person's worthy. And I wonder why is this person think they're so unworthy that they should be in these situations. Mm-hmm. So when we see our worth, we see others worth, but without it, I couldn't see my own worth. Because, so I allowed other people to treat me like I wasn't worthy and like attracts like, yeah, I was only yeah, attracting really. the unworthy. Yeah, exactly. So what lessons, lessons from, um, from your life and, re- and relational relationships do you, do you vary into your practice? Like what have, what have you learned about yourself that, that you feel like you want to, um, give to, to. Oh, this is a good one because I've ignored my intuition my whole life. You know, that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you know something's off. Mm-hmm. those red flags I have had those so many times and like I was aware of them and I I blatantly ignored them and once you know when I didn't recognize what they were it was all right I gave myself a little leeway there but when I knew exactly what was going on and like the <laughs> bells were dinging flags were waving slapping me in the face and I still ignored them those are hard lessons to learn and yeah. what I tell my clients is to stop listening to your brain because everything in here is a story. It's not true. Everything you know about yourself and who you are in this life is a story. It's just bits and pieces of things people have told you. It's like those finish the ending books. Like if you choose to skip ahead to page 30, that's a different story. That's what's going on in our brain. But if you check in with your body, and you know that you're living your true self, there's none of that feeling in your gut. That feeling in your gut is you're empowered and exuberant and joyful and happy. But if I get anxiety, I check in with what's going on up here because I know I'm thinking about something or I'm in a situation that I'm being warned against and I don't ignore it anymore. Right. And sometimes I have to take that step back and really sit in it for a while because again, we're we're so instant gratification, instant response society. Absolutely. That everything we feel that's not good, we want to get rid of. So if I don't feel good to me, that's a sign I need to pay attention to something. What's happening that I need to pay attention to. If I'm anxious and it's lingering, I need to look around to see what's going to go on, what's going on for me. Um, well, and I bet bet that perspective for your for your clients to being able to look and say say listen to intuition, listen listen to the bells and whistles that are going off is um um only the wisdom of age of age, but the wisdom of experience that that uh, enters into the conversation. 
Well, and I think that in my field, you know, in all of our helping fields, I think people forget we're human too. Like when I say I have it, get anxiety, people look at me like, what? I'm like, you don't understand. When I first got divorced, I had debilitating anxiety. Like I couldn't be home alone. I get anxiety now. It just doesn't control me. I just right. check in with it. And some days it lasts. Sometimes it lasts a week and I don't know why. And usually I come out the other side of it and something major has shifted for me. But I know that I can't chase it away because if I chase it away, I stay in that on that hamster wheel. And I call it running in quicksand, right? Where you're just running and not right. going anywhere. I can't get rid of it because something's happening. And I just need to allow it for a while. And when yeah. I allow it, something shifts. Um, and I usually help with that. One of my therapists used to say all to say all the time, and it used to, but I understand what she was saying. She used to used to say when feeling or a reaction, she would say that. Just yeah. notice that, not yes. judgment about it, it not not um, you know try to try to fix it, but just just sit. And I was like, what yes. does that mean? <laughs> but that's what you're what you're saying is to pay attention. Just a, just yeah, we'll see feelings. We give them too many meanings, just like the $100 bill, right? We're like, oh, I feel this. What is that about? I feel that. What is that about? But when you think about feelings, I talk about feelings like the waves of the ocean, right? The ocean doesn't think about the size of its waves. Some of them are little. Some of them are big. They go back out again. The big ones knock you on your butt. You got to clean the sand out of your pants and you get back up and guess what little ones follow and you never really know where that big one came from right it might be followed by little ones but just let it come in and go back out because they change like this right, right. Our, our the way we feel changes constantly constantly we never try to chase away happiness but most of us were never taught sadness or anger or any of those things i grew Absolutely. up in the don't worry, be happy. Like that was the motto in my house. Right. Right. And anything that wasn't happy was like, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, don't be angry. Oh, let it go. And we don't talk about it. You can't. Right. So now right. when people say to me, I have anger management problems, I'm like, who does? Who doesn't have anger management problems? None of us know how to manage anger. We just get angry and hold it in like the pressure cooker till it explodes. Right. And then people go, oh my God, you're so anger, angry. You have so many <laughs> anger management issues. Well, yeah, because if I told you when I got angry to begin with and I expressed it, I would that wouldn't happen. But I'm, we're so afraid to ruffle anyone's feathers or hurt feelings or express anything that we just stuff it all in there. Yeah. 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 Got to come out. Do you, do you see, see some um, recurring, recurring things right now in dealing with couples? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all, they're all dealing with these, the same issues, right? I think people get this idea that in a happy marriage, you don't fight and you solve all the issues, right? And one of the things Gottman's talks about is that 69% of the problems couples argue about are perpetual, will never, ever solve them. They argue about the same things over and over and over again. And that's just normal stuff, right? Chores, finances, kids, whatever, jobs. And half of it is just recognizing that these are this is the way it is. And 
working out a routine for your relationship that works. So even in one of the books, he talks about this one couple who, when they get angry, they just extremely, they explode on each other. And then one of them leaves and the other one does whatever. And then like 20 minutes later, they come back and it's over with, and they don't hold a grudge and they don't bring up any old stuff. And it's like they're best friends again. And that's how it works for them. And they've been together 50 years. Mm-hmm. Other people have to have the conversation, but we don't stop at like today's issue. We attack each other and then get defensive and then criticize each other. And you did this and no, you did this. And I asked you to do that and you never helped me. And it goes on and on and on. And the, the foundation that, you know, the Gottman's teach is friendship. We'd never speak to our best friends the way we speak to our partners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we hold each other to this expectation. Like I'm allowed to have a bad day and then come home and like crap all over everybody because I had a bad day and not think twice about it. Right. I can come home and yell at everybody because I had a bad day. And why is that fair that my day ruins everyone else's day? Right. But we, as a family expect it, but that has consequences. Right. Mm -hmm. And now, and we are all the consequences, like all of us that are older growing up in these, in this world go, wow, that's what my life was like. (laughs) Right. I'm like, ah, stop yelling. (laughs) So really the, the difficulty that is happening is that as the busier that we get as families and as people, the harder it is for couples to come together and have the time to have discussions. Mm-hmm. There's no discussion. Plus, if I see one more person telling me, look, at he said this and she said this, my people argue over cell phones, hours and hours of text messages, stop talking over text messages. Oh, right? my goodness. That's so, just, that is so true. true. Have a conversation, have a conversation because the text messages are ridiculous and gosh, stay off social media. And the text messages are so porous, like they absorb so much of your own emotion and your own intention and your own, own, you know, they just, they absorb that stuff, stuff, which doesn't have any meaning, just placing meaning, like, like you said, on people's words. And there's no accountability. You can say whatever you want in a text message because you don't have to say it to someone's face. So there's no, you're not being held accountable for how horrible you're being. Right. But we'd never say half this stuff in person. Absolutely. That's so true. So, so, yeah. so what do you most want people to know about you and your work or work? Oh gosh. I want people to know that, that I'm on their team, right? Like I, I'm going to, I want to work with you to help you get where you want to be because I didn't have that until later in life. You know, I had to go through major traumas and spiral out of control before I finally like hit my knees and was like, oh my gosh, like somebody guide me. And then I was fortunate enough that the universe heard and I listened and I found the right people. But I believe that as I've opened up who I am and what I do, those people are being directed towards me for a reason. So I want people to know that you know, I'm going to hold space for you. Like, mm. I'm not here to judge you. It, I'm not here to cause, tell one of you, you're right. One of you, you're wrong. We're not ganging up on anybody. This is about coming together as a team. 
right? Yeah. I'm part of your team just as much as your medical doctors. If you're going through an illness, that's great. Right. Right. And like, I had a conversation with a kid this morning who was like, I need to get off antidepressants because I don't want to take them. And I'm like, but why? And she's like, because I don't, I don't, I feel like they're a crutch. And so I said, so do you think that the diabetic who's on insulin is using insulin as a crutch? She's like, no, they needed to survive. Okay. Well, I've seen you off your meds, right? I've seen what happens. We've seen the result. Would you tell someone on heart medication that they're using that heart medication as a crutch because they should just let their heart struggle on its own? And she's like, of course not. And I'm like, then why do you have to allow your brain to struggle on its own? There has been trauma. There is a chemical imbalance. We've seen it change. Why is it different? Yeah. We have to get past. And I I just, I don't disagree that we prescribe way too many medications, but when we see it make a difference and it's truly helping where, why do we have these stigmas? Right. Yeah. Why do we have stigmas about going to therapists? Oh, that, oh that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I want my couples to come to me before they're in trouble. I want right. them to know they don't have to wait until their marriage is falling apart. They can start beforehand and learn the skills now because that's what Gottman teaches. That's what we learn in Gottman. Right. Let's build that relationship from the ground up. So 30 years down the road or 15, in my case, your marriage isn't on, you're not on two separate roads trying to figure out how or when or where or what, if you're going to get back together and we couldn't do it. It was too far gone. Yeah. Yeah. People get to know more about you or, um, yeah. How, how do people get to know more about you? Yeah, they can, well, they can uh, find my website is just, you know, under my name. You can put it all on the podcast, Kelly Scroy, LMHC. You look that up. I come up everywhere. Um, My social media on Facebook and on Instagram is just my name. Um, I kept it real simple or (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it was super easy. Um, my couples program that I use based on some of the Gottman's methods, the relationship reboot. So if you search that on Facebook, you should come up with that group as well. Um, but I'm pretty easy to find by my name. I've Googled me and I'm like, wow, I'm everywhere. <laughs> That's great. Well, Kelly, it, it, it has, it's, and, um, it has been, it has been great to you. You're great with word pictures and, um, I'm a visual person person. So I love that. And, um, I just, I, I just appreciate the time that you invested today. Thank you. I'm so excited to have been here. It was fun. Yeah. I love positive like energy and being able to go, yeah, this is great. Like life's good. Right. I mean, it's hard, but it's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, well, thank you so much. So much. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, it was great talking to you and reach out anytime. Sounds good. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it. If you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, you can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.